And welcome to this week's episode of Supply Chain Talk. I'm Alistair Charlton, your host today. And our topic this week is on tips to success successfully digitize your fleet. I'll be joined by my guests in a few minutes. Um, and first of all, though, we will be talking about a news item of the week. And uh, as always, your comments are very welcome and questions um, in the chat and Q&A panels. And we'll pick up on those um, as, as much as we can. So let me bring on my guests. And the first guest is Yuri Pinto, who is gerente de supply chain at Indorama Ventures. And I think uh, uh, Yuri has been there until recently, but in fact is now head of supply chain in a consulting startup called RX Log. And Yuri's uh, worked mostly in Brazil, uh, but also sometime in the Far East. He has 27 years of experience in logistics, supply chain, purchasing, operations and sustainability and uh, manages uh, high performance teams in the various companies he's been at. And he's also an expert in Lean Six Sigma programs for innovation and continuous improvement. So welcome, Yuri. Um, our second guest, who is not with us right now, but may hopefully join us if he can just overcome a few technical connection issues, uh, is David Sommers, who's Managing Director at Road Skills Online. Uh, and I hope David will join us. He, he's managed his own haulage fleet for many years uh, following a career in the British Army, and he's provided risk management and training services to transport and logistics operators for over 30 years. Uh, and his company now includes e-learning for driver behavior as, as one of its services. Um, my third guest is John Lowe, who's Fleet Systems Manager at Travis Perkins PLC. Travis Perkins, um, for those of you who are not aware, is a large uh, builders, merchants, plumbers, merchants, so a, a lot of um, branches, um, almost 900 branches across the UK uh, and several thousand vehicles um, delivering a lot of heavy materials um, to uh, their customers. Um, and John's managed the group transport systems at Travis Perkins for 10 years, um, and his team is also responsible for the group's compliance and efficiency reporting. Welcome, John. And finally, Thomas Becker is a sales engineer um, for Enterprise at Samsara. So he's a solutions engineer there covering large major accounts in the German speaking market uh, at Samsara. He's been working on digitalization and driver safety strategies with various accounts in different industries uh, for the last four years. So a, a great panel uh, representing um, uh, lots of different uh, parts of the world as well. Um, but let's first of all look at the um, uh, news item that we wanted to focus on first of all, which is titled the top floor, it's a real it's a tongue twister, the top four fleet technologies identified for 2023. Um, it um, was published in Fleet Industry and the company Teletrack Navman has identified what it thinks will be the top four technologies in the coming year. And those are artificial intelligence in transport, um, growing uptake of smart cameras across fleets, the switch to electric vehicles, and finally driver safety. So they're quite related, and the article kind of talks a little bit more about how AI and machine learning um, as a platform can really help businesses um, streamline processes and so on, but also ultimately identify inefficiencies to boost their productivity, I guess things like vehicle scheduling, but also AI and machine learning can help improve driver behavior and that's where i think the uh, smart cameras come in uh, so so very much a related um, item there um uh so smart cameras 
being taken up just means obviously going beyond uh, ca cameras uh, which just can, can record but which actually where the data could be analyzed and uh, David welcome you've you've overcome Thank the technical you. problems great to see you there so uh, yeah. we'll be talking about smart cameras and driver behavior soon um, continue those trends the, the plug uh, plugging in electric cars is, is another heading in, in in the article and it talks I think particularly about the pickup of um, of, of electric vehicles in fleets and of course a very different sort of cost profile very different maintenance profile to think about so so certainly um a lot of implications to electric vehicles including of course in vehicle scheduling because suddenly you've got very different considerations in terms of range and recharging times and so on so quite a, a mixture of um of, of items um identified there and, and perhaps yuri turning to you first um Actually, if Yuri is there, I can't see him on camera, but let me ask Yuri the question. Uh, which of those four trends do you think is the most important for 2023, in, in your opinion, Yuri? If there is no answer from Yuri, uh, let's turn instead to David. Have you got a view, David, on which of those four trends? Yeah, um, based on my own experience, Alistair, as a haulier, I was collecting data before we had digital data collection, and we did it by steam-driven methods like writing down numbers and uh, encouraging drivers to write down numbers and reading tachograph charts and calculating miles per gallon so you know the ability of data to transform a business goes back a long way before digitalization and i think what's happened is that digitalization gives us all the opportunity to accelerate the pace at which we can make interventions into running a business for greater efficiencies and uh, my special subject greater safety but irrespective of whether you had uh, manually created data 30 years ago or artificial intelligence created data in a digital fashion today it, it only starts to work if you actually speak to drivers right and, okay uh, i find a lot of articles talk about telematics giving road safety data which you know gives great data but it has to be used. And most transport managers don't have the time, I'm afraid, to write training or coaching programs. And often we confuse the two words, training mm. and coaching. They're not the same. And um, uh, and, and, and what, what we want to be the outcome of whichever is chosen is learning. Yeah. And it's the drivers who need to learn to behave in a professional way. Okay. And, well, it's, 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 I also believe, sorry, we all just very quickly then, Alistair, we also have data from the Department for Transport every year in their road casualty report, which we do an executive summary of. And um, the 10 main types of collision and the 10 main causes of collision and contributory factors are all in that report. But how many people use it? OK, no, thank you, David. It sounds then as though potentially that artificial intelligence to really be able to analyse and point out trends and so on could be very powerful in, in your mind. Yeah. John, yeah. of those four trends identified which one catches your eye most do you think oh you're on mute thank there you, you. I, I agree with david uh, the, the data tells you or gives you gives you the insights yeah of what the drivers are doing on the road we don't sit next to them every day um but actually it's that communication piece to the driver to explain where potentially hot spots are okay um but also I don't think that data is the 100% the thing that, that you need to do. You need lead drivers, you need peers, drivers with other drivers out on the road. Right. Okay. 
that that, that, that that's interesting. So yeah. certainly the, the driver safety aspect is is really important to you, Thomas. Let's let's move to you. Um, kind of, uh, of of those of those trends. Would you agree with the other two, or do you want to introduce? Sure. Another? No, sure, Alistair. I think uh, it's already hard to pick from 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 four topics. Um, mm. So keep it with those four. But I actually I also have to pick the um, driver safety in conjunction, actually, with the smart cameras because I don't really see them at, as two different topics. Yeah, very. Um, and I'll pick them uh, because I think they can have the biggest impact overall on uh, everybody. Actually, not just the customer, mm -hmm. not just us, because ultimately if we work on increasing the road safety um that benefits us all right um david just went back to that report um and um i think for a second we all thought during corona um it's all fine because obviously the accidents went down because uh there were fewer miles or kilometers driven mm. but we're in most countries we're back at least to the same level of before if not higher so um yeah i think that can have the biggest impact on all of us having safer roads yeah Okay, no, thank you. Uh, but but let's just pick up on 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 electric cars on electric vehicles, especially for for fleets. I mean, I, I perhaps let's go around each and turn. Yeah, you know, do you think do you think twenty twenty three is going to be a year when you're going to see a lot more electric vehicles in fleets, and and does that have a big impact? I've certainly seen a lot of electric vans now in 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 cities more and more. Um, David, do you, do you think they're going to be a big impact in twenty twenty three, and what does that mean for driver behaviour, road safety, things like that? Um, Alistair, I'm certainly in the in in the corner that backs reduction of uh, CO2 and other noxious emissions in towns and cities. Again, I grew up at a time when uh, no one even gave it consideration. Walking up to the after school job, we we were clouded in the emissions from diesel trucks uh, going through the town where where I lived. Um, we took it for granted, but now there's clear evidence of. Of the harmful effect of those so actually um i don't know too much about the transfer of the pollution uh by having electric vehicles made and, and the batteries produced elsewhere but what i do know is that it's a good step for our societies to not have um uh, ice engines churning out fumes in cities although i must say the idea that you have a um an emission-free zone uh, is a bit of an anomaly because, of course, you can pay to go into it. So, is it emissions free, or is it just is it just the start of a of a journey to where we will truly have an emissions free? Yeah, and I suppose so. Will the trend of incorporating um, pra practical ele electric vehicles into fleets will continue this year without question? Yeah. Right. John, how about you? I mean, can you share with us as Travis Perkins already got quite a lot of um, electric vehicles in the fleet, and are they going to be more? I wouldn't say we've got a lot. We've got mm. some. Um, yeah. We're on that journey um, to go to electric vehicles. Um, vans are very much easier than the heavy side. Mm. Um, so um, we're on that journey already to um, convert with one particular brand. Yeah. Um, heavy side, we're on that journey. I think uh, manufacturers are starting to bring out the heavy side um, vehicles. Again, specialist vehicles that we have to run, like other uh, people in our industry, are they quite there yet? Yeah, the, 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 they are. Um, have we dipped our toe a little bit? Um, mm. What I think we do need, though, is we actually need more data from the OEMs. So from the DAFs, Scania's, Mercs, all of the above Volvos, because you've got to fit that vehicle into a business that is already running ICE vehicles. Mm. And, uh, mm. 
Um, so there is that um, challenge, really, to to, to convert. Yeah. And make sure that they will fit. Yeah. Okay. No, thank you. Interesting to hear that. So, and, and Thomas, um, in, in your in your work, are you seeing more and more of your products being fitted into electric vehicles, electric commercial vehicles, rather than uh, ICE ones? So that's that's a topic that every customer has to deal with, or every prospect. Um, they are all on different parts of that journey. Some of them have clear strategies already. Uh, some of them are very much at the beginning. So the first question is actually, and that goes a little bit back to what John said, like, which cars can I actually electrify? If I look at my fleet of 5,000 vans and trucks all together, which of those actually have the right profile to be electrified with the current conditions? And that's something I think Going back to back back to that digitalization and to that data aspect, mm. um, what we also try to do from from our perspective, from some Sarah perspective, if we have a customer um, and they're already feeding our system with data, what we do is we actually have an electrification report, and that electrification report tells the customer which of those vehicles are best suited for. Um, for electrification to basically get them started on that first step um, okay the but absolutely yeah. that's very interesting um we uh, yuri appeared and, and tantalizingly has disappeared again so yuri if you're there just butt in and say hey i want to want to make some comments but i'm afraid for now we'll move on but before we move on to our main topic we've got an interesting question um from amol jane thank you amol um about electric vehicles and and um essentially saying with with that that being part of our focus how are we dealing with scope two and scope three emissions especially when you start going way back up the supply chain and think about lithium mining and so on. Um, I don't know if one of you wants to comment on that. Um, does it, do, do any of you get involved? I don't know, John, on your compliance side, are you involved in scope two or scope three or just literally focusing on the vehicles that, that you're running? Just the vehicles that I'm running, I'm afraid. I can't comment on that one. Okay, David or Thomas? Do, do, well, I, I would actually be interested to know some of the answers to those questions because I don't think there's too much information publicly available about mm. how the raw materials are sourced and how they then used um, and what waste is created in that process. And it, it's it's knowledge I think we could all have uh, access to. Yeah. And Thomas, is, is that something you get involved in? in, in yeah, I mean, generally, I mean, just for the broader audience, maybe some people also aren't really aware of what the scope two and scope three broadly speaking, and are indirect emissions, right? Rather than mm, having yeah. the vehicle on the road and actually emitting uh, carbon, uh, it's wherever in your supply chain, in your end-to-end, -end, where are things also emitted? Like David said, that could, for example, be uh, the production of the EV. Um, there's um, be, There are uh, gases being emitted uh, while doing that as well. Um, it's difficult, I think. Um, uh, that needs to come from OEMs, right? The OEM knows where they're producing, where they're sourcing material. So, so if you're talking about the production of a vehicle and how that rolls into your emissions report, that should be coming from, from the uh, OEMs. Um, mm -hmm. But one thing that I just want to create a little bit of awareness of is maybe this. There's very often this discussion of, okay, EVs are just offloading emissions from the road, from... from um, 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 from the direct emissions to the indirect emissions, um, which is to some extent true, but also sourcing 
uh, oil, for example, that's also not a clean clean industry, right? Also, if you're using uh, vehicles with combustion engines, you also have indirect emissions going into the lifetime of the vehicle. So um, yes, to some extent, there's this discussion going on, especially with mining things like cobalt uh, or rare earth um, materials. Um, but that's not just um, exclusive to um, to EVs, actually. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I think this should come from the person or the the part uh, the, the 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 party that actually created the product and delivers yeah. the product. It's a, it's a really good point, isn't it? And and, and given that the lifetime of a battery is is known, you know, its expected lifetime and therefore the energy it can get through and the number of recharges and whatever, you could you could calculate quite easily, couldn't you? The sort of grams of CO2 equivalent per mile that that battery is, you know, drives a vehicle. It, it's certainly something that could be calculated and, and be interesting yeah. to see the, the vehicle manufacturers pick up on that. John, were you about to say something? Yeah, there? I think the interesting bit about that, about what Thomas just said as well, is uh, my vehicles don't are not a standard vehicle. Mm. Oh, so I have a crane bolted onto it, I have a towel lift put onto it. So again, I've got multiple suppliers that I've got to go to, not just the OEM to find out that information. My cranes come from Sweden. Yeah, um, they've got to get over here, um, et cetera. So uh, it is an interesting topic mm. um, and finding all that information out. Great, thank you. Well, it sounds like it's it's one for another episode of Supply Chain Talk <laughs> in the future. But let's now move to our main topic of of tips to successfully digitise your fleet. And we, we've covered some of this already. But the first sort of sub point we had on, on today's topic was uh, about combating driver shortages through AI dash cam protection, coaching programs and supporting good driving behavior. So I think we'd all recognize those three um, points mentioned there do definitely help drivers perform better. They've got reassurance, they've got protection and so on in the case of accidents. Um, but, but I guess sort of you know, in terms of specifically helping driver recruitment and retention to, 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 to combat driver shortages, David, is that something you see you know, as, as being a benefit of good driver training and good behavior programs? Um, if I may, Alistair, I'll start a bit further back or higher up, whichever be, whichever way anyone wants to look at it. Um, mm. and, and I think what contributes to good driver retention is actually engagement with drivers, to use uh, a, a modern term that's, that's mm. used frequently. When I started in transport, it was just talking to them. And uh, operators didn't talk to drivers very often other than to remonstrate with them or give them delivery instructions. Mm. And I don't know how much, you know, to, to a great deal of extent, we're not moved from that even today because that's the core activity. Mm. Um, so I think the first step in creating good driver behavior is explaining to people, again, based on my own experience and working with hundreds of companies since, is explaining to people what, what you want them to do and how you want them to do it. So create expectation and create standards by that communication so that people have an idea of what they're buying into if they work for you, that, that employer, and they know what's expected. And there's some notable companies, not the least of which is John's company, who have excelled at that over the last 10, 10 years as a specific business strategy to improve their business as well as to improve the welfare of the drivers and the impact on, on the public who, who come into contact with them in the course of their work. So I think there's all these facets to good driving behavior um, that have to be addressed. It's not just about the data. In fact, the data is possibly 
the last thing in the line when you start to measure the impact and the outcome of the of the engagement with drivers to retain them. So, however, however you engage with drivers, I think it's a contribution to retention, and we're getting that feedback from our clients who are using our e-learning program. Yeah, great, John. So, so David was mentioning Travis Perkins is an excellent example. So, so I mean, do you have do you have some of these programs in place, dash cams and so on, and, and is that helping engagement? Uh, we don't have AI dash cams, so we do have dash cams, um, but really for um, uh, mitigation on when we have an incident. So mm. I'll step that to the side. Um, but retention of drivers, exactly what David said. Actually, my drivers are the face of Travis Perkins. Mm. Yeah. Mm. They are, the, pe- they are the, 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 the public see those every day. They don't see the people beyond the counter in the head office. So it's actually engaging them, isn't it, and, and making them feel like they are part of the wider business because they do spend most of their time out and about um, on the road. Yeah. yeah. They have to reload the back out again. So we've got coaching pro- programs. We've got incentive programs as well. Um, so we take um, telematics information um, of how the vehicle's been driven. Okay. So safety and um, efficiency. And then mm-hmm. we incentivize our drivers. So actually, if you drive your, our vehicles to uh, an A grade or B or a C grade, will incentivize you monthly. Why that was put in was retention of drivers. We spend a lot on our drivers every year training, yeah, wars mm. training, CPC training, etc. clocks. Um, we want to keep those. We don't want to just keep wasting money. So actually in, giving them that incentive yeah. has retained them. Um, I was speaking to at a dinner last, well, I was at an event last week, um, and a company I was speaking to, their, their turnover of drivers is 1.8%. And I was just like, wow. Wow. That's incredibly low. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go and see that person. I'm going to have a meeting with him because I want to find (laughs) out what he's doing. So hopefully I can take that back to my business. So, yeah, that's really how we're retaining our drivers and, and coaching them. Yeah, great. Thank you. And Thomas, in, I, I, don't, I mean, certainly in the UK, you know, there, there have been major driver shortages, part, partly, I mean, a lot of factors, but certainly partly, I think, being driven by Brexit. So so a lot of European drivers who, who are happy to live and work in the UK are, are no longer here. Uh, you know, are there equal driver shortages on the continent in German speaking markets? And, and, uh, and, and are you seeing these technologies helping retention? Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, even if those uh, drivers uh, left, uh, the UK, uh, it that doesn't seem like they just magically turned up in Germany. So we also have tens of thousands uh, drivers uh, sh- in shortage uh, mm. every year, and it's getting worse because uh, there is a great deal of older drivers basically retiring in the next few years, and there's just very little younger drivers um, coming back because um, most people don't see this as an attractive job anymore, right? And mm. um, mm. I think in Germany, it's even a bit worse. Uh, John, you're probably two steps ahead of most uh, customers that I'm talking to because we're a little bit back behind the whole dash cam curve. And um, in the first initial reaction is always, um, if I put in a dash cam into my vehicle, I'm not going to find any drivers anymore. Uh, My drivers are going to leave me. They're just going to go to the next transportation and warehousing company. Um, So it takes a minute to actually educate them that the, the 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 main point of a dash cam is yes to coach the driver to engage with the driver to but but also to to actually give the, give him a helping hand because no driver goes out if we say we're talking about a two-way facing dash cam 
Um, no driver goes out and says like, okay, I'm going to use a foam because I want to actually be in an accident. It's just a bad behavior, which has mm -hmm. been learned because it hasn't been punished because thank God, not every time when somebody is on a phone in a car, it, it results in a crash, but obviously it increases the risk. So there's a, a behavior which has been learned. Um, so this is one thing to actually engage with the driver and make him understand why we do this and also give him actually um, some assistance. Uh, John, you mentioned that you use your dash cams uh, mainly uh, when there has been an incident. Um, I think almost every driver has been in a situation where he's been accused of actually um, um, being at fault in an, in an accident. But in reality, maybe a passenger vehicle just cut him short or something like this. So if you can actually tell those drivers, um, hey, um, you can just ring us up. We have the video in the cloud. We have clear proof. A lot of that goes along for a lot of drivers. And that's also one of the reasons why a lot of drivers actually have their own dash cams in their trucks, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of education going on. Um, but the general problem is the same in the German market, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's, that's really interesting, Thomas. That, and that relates nicely, actually, to a question we just had, as, as another question from Amal, thank you, um, which is basically saying, you know, kind of, is there any way to measure a happiness index of drivers and a way to benchmark against market standards? So um, perhaps I'll go going around to, 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 to you again, David. You know, do, are you aware of, of, of some of your clients and of you having happens index a sort of satisfaction survey for drivers and do they compare it to, to other companies to, to see how happy their drivers are um i'm not aware that anyone's specifically doing that in a measurable way uh, to to gain an outcome however <laughs> funnily enough i have just recently drafted what you might call a happiness survey right. uh, which when when i get around to finishing it you know one of my colleagues will um prepare it or sending out to all our clients uh, to invite their drivers to complete that survey. And it actually is a survey about how how satisfied the drivers are. Um, a, I have to say, with, con with, with being part of an e-learning program, but B, how it reflects on their perception of their employer who is providing that learning opportunity. Okay, there will I be. Think there's definitely scope for that. That's something for 2023 to maybe come back to you with, Alistair. But I suspect John will have some feedback for us on that. No, absolutely. Well, that, that's that's very interesting that, that you're absolutely planning that, and it will be fascinating to hear the results. Yeah. Yeah, John, did you have customer satisfaction? Did you have you know, employee satisfaction surveys specific, specifically for your drivers? So uh, we do. We do. Well, we have a company wide. Um, mm. So everybody uh, does uh, does one one a year. Okay, so it's your voice, our future. Okay, um, but actually, the company that I was mentioned earlier last week, they actually asked their drivers every morning, "How are you?" Goodness, which That's... I thought was a great thing to do. Um, yeah. yeah, I also have the ability, but I haven't done it yet. Mm. Okay, so mm. um, on any given morning, I can um, send a video or or a message to two thousand plus drivers, and I can mm. know that they've watched the video. Okay, mm. and that bit where David just said about that. How are you today? You know what I mean? That bit. I, I think that's that bit, that next step where we will hopefully go, okay, to ask the drivers. And if they're not, actually get the manager to have that conversation with the driver, isn't it? A happy driver is a safe driver at the end of the day. Um, we do have the 10 before 10 as well, which is 10 minutes with all the staff at the branch before they, they open, mm -hmm. okay, to have that mm -hmm. conversation. How's people today? Did you sleep well, et cetera? Mm -hmm. And they are engaging bits and it reduces accidents. 
And yeah, very interesting. I guess interesting to also at the end of the day say, how was your day? How are you feeling now? That's but, it again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So how did you start the day and how did you finish the day? Isn't Absolutely. It, I think, isn't it? Great. Thomas, with, with your many clients, are you seeing you know, good measurement of happiness? And, 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 and I think what would be fascinating is, do, do, they, do you know any of your clients who've, who've had a happiness survey before putting in dash cams and afterwards to kind of show that they're not resented that, that actually the drivers get used to them and welcome them and it, and it makes them happier drivers it's actually a very good question and i don't think that any of my customers or prospects actually actively measures this and mm. um now that it's mentioned it's even um, it, it all connected a little bit because ultimately it's employees drivers are employees right and uh in in my in, in the industry that i've been working in for a long time with an it background this is actually a very standardized process we have something which is called nps net promoter score oh yeah mm -hmm. or uh, employee net promoter score um and this is something which is basically measured for all it companies like for all big companies so you can actually make it very comparable um and that that's ultimately the important thing right because it's it's a good thing if an employer if an employer actually measures this but it's even better at least from an employee perspective if the whole industry has a standard for it so mm. um it's an interesting thing and honestly i've never never thought about it but um yeah for everybody that wants to implement something like this is uh in in their own company i would really suggest to look at this enps or nps uh, yeah. measurement um, because the idea of it is to measure the engagement um, of your employees in different ways and to also make sure that they don't need to fill in like a 50 pages questionnaire so it's also ultimately a really short questionnaire yeah um, yeah I would just suggest to maybe look into this to also find a standardized way Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Amal, thank you for a great question. It really sparked a, a yeah. really, really good discussion there. Excellent. Good. Let's move on to the second key point we had on the agenda, which is reaching your sustainability goals through monitoring and analyzing real time conditions. So um, I guess that can tie into all sorts of things, but, but, but I guess, you know, also into efficient vehicle scheduling and things like that. David, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on sustainability goals through monitoring and analysing real-time conditions? Well, again, going back to my earlier days in the industry as an operator, um, we, were, we were taking some first steps on sustainability back then but didn't know it. We didn't realise it. Um, we, we, we just called it getting better MPG and the reason we did it was to um, save, save the cost of diesel, cut the cost of diesel. So that's when I began introducing incentives for drivers related to performance, mm. but supporting them with the coaching is in, in the, to, to, to learn what they needed to know to change their own attitude in a self-development way to recognize that the, the behavior traits they had, which they thought were good traits, but get, getting good progress on their journeys actually weren't good traits because they weren't making a difference to journey times. They were just consuming more fuel to get to the next stopping point more quickly. And then they lose their time at the traffic lights or wherever it was. <laughs> so, you know, I guess I now, now I, now you prompt me to look at it. I've been in sustainability for about 30 years, but <laughs> in those years I didn't know it. It was all about business performance and driving performance and rewarding drivers but I don't think we're you know it's the same journey 
and ICE vehicles are with us now in the majority and will continue to be so for some time. Mm. And um, if we refer to the question we were asked earlier about um, the um, the secondary um, uh, pollution, mm. then whatever fuel we, we end up using, um, it will be good practice for all, all social as well as business reasons to actually use less of it, won't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you make a good point that actually, you know, while sustainability is the term we're all used to now, I mean, it goes hand in hand. If you're an efficient business, yeah. you know, filling your vehicles, scheduling them really well to minimise distance travelled and cover all your customers, that's all about getting the most out of your vehicles and, and, and it's sustainable. So, so they absolutely yeah, yeah. go hand in hand. John, in, in your case, do, do you do... Um, you know, do you do a lot of some monitoring in real time? I mean, that's sort of part part of the point here is real time conditions. Do you are you constantly monitoring, diverting vehicles, saying don't go there, go here because we've seen something happening, or or is that just make life too complicated? Um, I wouldn't say diverting vehicles from the, yeah A to B. Um, what we do look at is very much trending. Um, mm -hmm. So looking at the, the utilization of the branch, um, we do use our telematics data um to obviously wheels turning so what time are they leaving the branch what time are they coming back to the branch how long does it take them to reload how many reloads have they had during the day um, and then we give them an efficiency score percentage of utilization based on an eight hour day a nine hour day you can choose that as a business so mm -hmm. we've got multiple businesses within the group they run at different times of the day um and then they can benchmark each other so actually it became um or competition probably isn't the right word to use but again it um because of the various businesses that we've got it's again that bit of a competition of utilization we've got vehicles over here that are being used more than vehicles over here okay do we need to move some vehicles mm -hmm. we've got too many vehicles at some branches that are struggling at other branches where they've got 100 percent utilization could really do with another vehicle um this is that's where the information of this reporting then assists the business really yeah, it was in the correct place. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. So, so definitely monitoring vehicle is really important. But, yeah. but in your case, you think the real time is probably going a step too far. And 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 I certainly, you know, if a customer's expecting a vehicle to be delivering a load to their construction site at nine a.m., it's not much use to say, "Oh, the traffic's a little bit busy. We'll come to you at eleven instead." It doesn't do you many favors. No. So we do do that bit to the customer that says, "Like this is when your deliveries come in." Um, mm. And it will dynamically update if there is traffic and tell mm. you. So there is that bit. Do I need to tell my business real time, hour by hour? Mm, no, because it's locally managed. Mm. Okay, interesting. Um, Thomas, are you seeing many people mo monitoring and analysing real time conditions and sort of changing their their vehicle routings or you know kind of trying to trying to change behaviours? Um, you know, li literally real time. Um. If we, if we think about uh, outside conditions like weather, like uh, traffic, etc., I don't really see it a lot. And I think it's also really difficult um, because um, the moment you react to it, uh, a thousand other people also have already reacted to it. So mm. if we just take like the classic one, like, okay, uh, the also famous autobahn is uh, is blocked or there's heavy traffic on it. And at this moment in time, maybe uh, um, an alternative route would be quicker or more efficient. Um, other people will make that decision as well, right? And I think mm -hmm. we're all in that situation where we then took the diversion and 
the road was blocked as well. So I think it's difficult to to make decisions, especially for a higher efficiency or sustainability, depending on that. Mm-hmm. Um, where it is more relevant is um, the safety aspect, um, because we can, with AI dash cams, we can start coaching and responding to the driver in the moment, in real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say a driver unconsciously or what, for, for whatever reason is um, actually tailgating permanently, we can actually tell him to please leave this or please increase the distance to the to the to the following to the to the vehicle in front. Yes, um, which again is not has nothing to do with efficiency efficiency or sustainability. Actually, it has with efficiency. Um, mm. And that's where we see a lot of customers actually using real-time data without actually any intervention by human. But yes, by yeah, yeah. And, and does that real-time data now extend? I've seen demos of your products, and it, it is fascinating to, to see them in action. Does that extend to also monitoring, for example, the weather? So suddenly it sees, oh, look, there's rain coming on the windscreen. Increase that distance. You know, you may have been safe. 10 minutes ago, but now that the, the roads are wet and so on, you need to increase that distance. Have, 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 is that a feature yet or is it maybe something planned? Um, it's not yet a feature. Um, it's interesting, um, but there's so much things we can still do with the AI and it's an ever evolving model. So we basically, and that's, that's, that's the beauty of our business model. We're basically constantly releasing new features. Um, so if you invest into the system today, you will have lots more features in a year or in two mm. years. Um, mm. But yet, to be honest, haven't heard about the the, the, the weather conditions yet. Um, yeah. But it's an interest, interesting idea. But I think there are a few things higher priority for us right now. Okay, no, good, good. Um, let's move to the third key point, which um, again, we're all quite related, and, and that's getting the right vehicle data for a smooth transition transition from internal combustion engine to electric. So, so I, I guess we touched on that a little bit. I think, Thomas, you, you mentioned it, didn't you, that to, to help customers you know, identify which vehicles might be the appropriate ones to move to electric. Um, let, let's start, David, with, with, with you. you know, have, have you seen particular data which would sort of help companies make that transition? Um, I haven't seen data, but it, it, it seems to me a fairly straightforward question. The more localized your operations, the uh, more practical it is to introduce electric vehicles because they haven't got the range difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll come back to a base at the end of every working session. Um, and then the, the longer the journeys are, the heavier the vehicles are gonna be to, to, to make um, a more efficient use of, of transport, payload capacity, that's always been a given. And if you've got a bigger, heavier vehicle going longer journeys, you've got a bigger um, recharging problem to solve. And I think that's fairly clear within the industry, um, Mm. which is why we see home delivery and inner city deliveries moving to vans at the moment, but, but not longer distance ones. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. That that you know, the, the the small urban vans with lots and lots of parcels. The the payload's not great. The distances are not great. A lot of stopping and starting. Perfect for electric. John, which I guess leads to you saying, John, you you've started on that journey. Is there particular data that you're finding is more useful than you expected, or less useful for for, for thinking about uh, you know use of electric vehicles? So. Um... 
I, I think these are the considerations as well that we've got to think mm -hmm. about. Okay, so um, I can have an electric vehicle at a branch. Okay, so if I have one van, that's fine, isn't it? But uh, like what David said, if I've got heavy side, I've got five, 10 HDVs. Mm. It's the amount of capacity that I've also got at the branch to charge those vehicles. Yes. Yeah. So these other parts that you need to also think about. So the, the whole journey isn't just about, oh, I, I, my average vehicles probably travel, I don't know, anywhere between 150, 200 miles a day. Okay. Mm. They'll come back to the branch twice, maybe three times a day. 30 minute recharge yeah okay i can get a quick fast charge isn't it but it's when they all come back at night and then i've got to charge them all up at night for the next day yeah it's the consideration i think and it's the infrastructure as well around the country it's a really good point that because you know if you're talking about 10 heavy vehicles i mean even if, even if they're not fast charging that's a heck of a power output and there's you know you might you might need a new substation you know nearby you might have all sorts of fire and and, and sort of you know risks to then consider if you've got that amount of power and and, and heat and it's a big thing isn't it it's, and again uh, it's not just the trucks is it you know what i mean i've also then got electric forklift trucks as mm. well that are charging so again you've got another bit of there that you've got to consider so mm. i think there, there is multiple aspects that you need to think about when you're on that journey um yes if you've got one vehicle very easy yeah um and you know it's doing local deliveries it's only traveling 50 miles max probably there and back to do one drop um but again you've got to analyze your data and, mm. and getting more data from the oems i think is the is the key of how many cycles has the battery got have i got a battery cell that's got a problem with it etc etc mm. and bringing that that information in to ensure that the vehicles stay on the road Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. Because that's the one thing you, you, you can't have is like you've got 10 vehicles and two of them haven't managed to recharge yet. So uh, and we're seeing that in governments, certainly in the UK government, that the whole kind of targets for, you know, charging points, you know, throughout the motorway network and, and, and throughout towns and cities. If, if you haven't got your own driveway to charge up your own car, what are you meant to do? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a massive challenge and, and it's similar for commercial vehicles. The, the interesting one that I've seen, I think it's a Dutch company. Um, they're, they're obviously, they don't want to go digging up the roads to put new, their, their new infrastructure in. So they're dropping um, batteries, basically battery packs, so that you can plug your car in. Right. It's more efficient to take the battery packs back, charge them up, bring them back out to charge the cars up. Why haven't we thought of that in this country, isn't it? You know what I mean? <laughs> It's an issue, right? You, one, you immediately wonder what the vehicle emissions are of the vehicles delivering and collecting the batteries, but um, but hopefully, hopefully there's enough density. But, uh, hopefully so, they're electric as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it does introduce you know, a yeah. lot of, there are a lot of different challenges around electric for sure. Thomas, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on, on, on that journey of how you identify where, you know, when and how to move to electric vehicles in a fleet? Um, I mean, first off, obviously, um, it's, it's, as I said, it's a journey, right? So you're going to start off with a few vehicles. Uh, it helps if you know which vehicles to pick. If, if you have the data yourself, great. If we can help you, even better. Um, and then things like John mentioned, if you have the first few vehicles, charging infrastructure usually is not a big issue, um, but it will become because it's, as soon as you're starting to charge hundreds of vehicles on sites or, or even dozens of vehicles, uh, you will need to somehow also um, control that. And um, it's also something we are going to do. So we all also we already have in conjunction to this first step where we try to help the customer which vehicle should you start with. 
Um, we also monitor the charging behavior. So which car or which vehicles are charged where and when and how often to, to yes. which load. And ultimately the idea behind this is to actually have the ability to have an influence on the charging infrastructure as well. So connecting our dashboard to the, uh, to the charging infrastructure as well to make sure that the right vehicles are actually prioritized in charging because not all vehicles might leave at the same time in the morning, mm -hmm. but there might be specific vehicles where we know they need to be fully charged in the morning. Um, so that's a journey. And, um, I think, yes, right now we're not at the point where, where HGVs are generally, um, a consider consideration. I've actually um, attended last year's uh, international automobile conference uh, in Germany. Um, and it was the first time for two years uh, because of Corona. And um, the general sentiment was that the industry is going towards that, right? There are also obviously other technologies in play. Um, in Germany, um, Mercedes-Benz and a few other man manufacturers, they would now want to create that charging network around the autobahns um, mm. to recharge trucks while they're on the road or while they're actually resting. And I think there will be a critical point for HDVs because at least, I mean, and there are side cases, of course, I appreciate that, John, with special vehicles, with different types of deliveries. But if you look at the classic long haul, it is very predictable. There is a critical distance. And when we're able to actually cover that distance in a fully load, we're at the point where we can actually switch to HGV EVs relatively easy. We just need to make sure that those HGVs can also generally be recharged because we have a limited amount of hours that every driver can drive, right? So um, there is this point, and I, I think we're probably a few years out, um, but we will see more and more. And then there are also experiments. Uh, so in Germany, I think I saw that in the UK as well. There are a few um, tracks where they actually get the energy from above, uh, very much like uh, um, some trams, um, yes, yeah. which is obviously also a smart thing to do. So you can actually recharge your truck on those on those um, kilometers and then you just need to make yeah. sure that you're able to actually travel the distance in between so yeah a uh, lot a lot happening on the hgv side but um yeah we're getting there yeah no it's, it's a great reminder that there's, there are some really good solutions out there and i have to say it occurred to me when i was last staying at a big business hotel you know thinking there's 200 cars parked in the car park and if they're all wanting to charge on not super fast but on the seven kilowatt per hour you know to be able to charge up overnight that's that's suddenly you know like a, a a megawatt of power needed for that hotel in addition to all the guests kind of having their showers and bars in the evening i mean it's a it's a massive Im impact on the on the uh, on the infrastructure sometimes so very interesting point raised there um yeah, well we're coming um, to the end of our 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 time but let's have one final question to each of you which is you know with our main topic if someone is thinking about dig digitizing their fleet you know, where, where do you think they should start? So it's David, for you, what, what do you think, given all the, the many topics we discussed today, where, where do you think someone should start on all this? Well, I think the use of the digital data that's already available is paramount. And that, that can only be put into action by educating your drivers. So I would say, um, sorry, one of the biggest pieces of feedback I've, I've had in 20, 20 or so years of consultancy is we don't have time to get face to face with drivers often enough to make a difference. Mm. So I would I would adopt 21st century technology and bring some e-learning into the business to educate drivers to 
to to to learn that being educated is part of doing your job. It's not something extra that you do over here. It's part of how you learn to do your job and do the right thing in in every aspect, both business efficiency and safety. Yeah. Um, so there are organizations like Thomas's who are providing excellent data now that data is there you can see what your performance is like so I would say if 2023 you want to make a difference to your business um, educate your drivers and use e-learning so it becomes a practical solution great okay thank you um John how about you where, where do you think you wish to start on this journey oh, cool um <laughs> <laughs> It all depends on what the business needs, isn't it? I, I think my kind of uh, my background is IT originally, um, so yeah, I wanted to bring us into that digital age, connect my systems, etc., mm. uh, get a load of data, analyze the data, then present it back. It, it, does everybody have that capability? Yes and no. Um, I don't think though that if you've already got a standard process, that you should automatically digitalize it. Okay, you need to look at why you want to digitalize it. Okay, there's um, there's various needs for myself and for our business. Um, we have local, local, um, local management. I can't see all of my branches around the uh, the, uh, the country. Yeah, mm -hmm. the way I can see it is by digital data, so that I can identify places that I need to help. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like getting that data in is is a, is a common thread there. And and, and, and Thomas, uh, finally from you. I would actually like to to point out two things which I think are pretty important. One is um, get everybody on board. I've seen some digitalization projects going hor horribly wrong if uh, there was an intent to digitalize something and the leading um, uh, le leading um, part of the company uh, didn't involve all the other parties. So the people that will actually enforce the process like drivers, for example, so pull everybody in from the beginning and um, rethink your processes. So don't just take your process one by one and try to digitalize it one by one. Um, try to get an outside look and see how you can actually improve that process, make it more efficient um, by digitalizing it. Great, thank you. Well, look, that, those have been some really um, great, great points we discussed today. Um, so just to conclude, um, Amal, thank you very much for those two excellent questions. One of them really got a good debate going there. So uh, uh, a supply chain talk mug will be on its way to you. Um, our next episode is next Wednesday, 22nd of February at 4 p.m., same time. And we're going to be looking at the very important subject of how can you eliminate modern slavery in your supply chain. So I hope you can join us then. So thank you again um, very much to my guests. Um, um, a thank you to Yuri in his absence, who, who battled to try and connect, but uh, wasn't able to. So we'll see him another time, I'm sure. David Summers, Managing Director of Road Skills Online. John Lowe, Fleet Systems Manager at Travis Perkins PLC. And Thomas Becker, Solutions Engineer at Samsara. So thank you, all three of you, and all four of you, in fact, with Yuri. And uh, we'll see you at our next episode.